Chapter 6, Invisible Enemies. Jack and Annie whirled around. A dark figure was standing at a side door of the Institute. The sorcerer, Jack thought. He frantically tried to remember his line of the rhyme. Can I help you? The figure said. He stepped forward into the light of a gas lamp. He was an old man with stooped shoulders. His hair was white and he had a friendly smile. Hi, who are you? asked Annie. I am the night watchman, the man said. The institute is closed for the night. Have you been bitten by a dog? Have you come for the rabies treatment? No, we're fine, said Annie. Is that what you do here? asked Jack. You treat people for rabies? Yes, not I, of course, but Dr. Pasteur. He treats other diseases as well, said the old man. He is the world's foremost medical researcher. Really, said Jack? What does he research? Microbes, said the night watchman. Microbes, said Annie. Germs, explained Jack. Yuck, said Annie. Microbes are invisible to the eye, said the old man. Some are useful and necessary, but others can cause great harm. Dr. Pasteur battles the deadly ones with research and vaccines and new medicines. Annie gasped. He battles deadly enemies no one can see, she said. He's the magician of the invisible. Yes, said Jack. The old man smiled. I suppose you could say that, he said. Dr. Pasteur has certainly helped a lot of people. We have to find him, said Annie. Do you know where he is now? Unfortunately, you have just missed him, said the night watchman. Earlier, a messenger left an invitation for him. A strange man in a black cloak, said Annie. You know him, said the night watchman. Not really, said Jack, but we think we know who he is. What did the invitation say? I do not know, said the old man, but when Dr. Pasteur read it, he left immediately. He said he had to get to the Eiffel Tower by 10 p.m. The Eiffel Tower, said Annie. By 10 p.m., said Jack. Do you know what time it is now? The old man pulled out a pocket watch. It is about 25 minutes until 10. Yikes, we better get going, said Annie. Thanks for your help, Jack said to the night watchman. You're welcome, the old man said. Then he stepped back inside the institute and closed the door. Hurry, said Annie. She and Jack ran down the steps to the street. Dr. Louis Pasteur, said Jack. I've heard of him too. This is crazy. None of these guys are really magicians. They're all famous for doing great things in science and stuff. I wonder who the fourth magician is, said Annie. The magician of iron, who bends the metals of earth and triumphs over the wind. Is he a magician or a scientist or what? I don't know, said Jack, but we have to get to that tower fast. We have to find the magicians and learn their secrets before the sorcerer finds them. Jack and Annie looked up and down the lamplit street. A man was pushing a cart over the cobblestones. A couple on a two-seater bicycle rode by and disappeared. Then a horse and carriage clattered up the street. Taxi, yelled Jack, but the horse and carriage kept going. There was no sign of another one. The street was empty, except for Jack and Annie. Let's start walking, said Jack. Look, said Annie. The couple on the two-seater bicycle rattled back down the road. They stopped near a yellow street lamp. We heard you call for help. Do you need assistance? The man asked in a gruff voice. Jack and Annie stepped closer to the bike. The riders were an odd-looking couple. The man was short. He wore a tall black hat and had a bushy beard and a long mustache. The woman was short also. She wore a hat with a veil that hid most of her face. We need to know the quickest way to the Eiffel Tower, said Annie. We have to get there by 10. It's an emergency. An emergency? Oh dear, explained the woman in a high squeaky voice. 
The man cleared his throat and spoke in his low, gruff voice. <clears throat> it would take quite a long time to walk to the Eiffel Tower from here, he said. Perhaps you should take our bicycle. Really? said Jack. Of course, said the man, if it's truly an emergency. It's an emergency, all right, said Annie. But how can we get your bike back to you? Just leave it for us under the arches at the bottom of the tower, said the man. We can pay you for letting us borrow it, said Annie. She pulled coins out of her pocket and held them out to the couple. You can have them all. No, please, we are happy to help, said the man as the couple climbed off their bicycle. This is really nice of you, said Annie. Good luck, the woman squeaked. Then she and the man started walking away. You were our good luck, shouted Annie. Thanks. Yes, thanks a lot, shouted Jack. The man turned back. You had better hurry, he called over his shoulder. If you want to be there by 10, you will have to spin like a whirlwind. Then he and the woman rounded the corner and were gone. I love this bike, said Annie. She climbed onto the front seat and Jack climbed onto the one in back. Ready? Go easy till we get the hang of it, said Jack. Jack and Annie started pedaling. At first, the large bike was very wobbly and they almost fell over. We have to pedal at the same speed, said Jack. Jack and Annie balanced themselves on the bike and tried to pedal together. The bike bumped over the cobblestones a little more smoothly. I think I've got the hang of it now, said Annie. Me too, said Jack. It isn't that different from riding a regular bike. Which way do we go, said Annie. We have to find that busy street with the cafes, said Jack. They rode the bike to the corner and looked right and left. That way, said Annie. She pointed to the right, where there was a busy block with lots of gaslit restaurants and people strolling about. Okay, go, said Jack. Annie turned the front handlebars and she and Jack pedaled down the bumpy street. Annie steered them carefully around couples walking arm in arm. People at outdoor cafes waved at them as they rode by. But the street grew more deserted as Jack and Annie kept riding. By the time they came to the end, there was no one around. They pushed back on their pedals and brought their bike to a shaky stop. Which way now, said Annie. Jack looked to the right and left. Both ways were dimly lit with closed shops and dark houses. Jack didn't recognize anything. I don't know, he said. I wasn't paying attention during the carriage ride. Me either, said Annie. Jack could see the Eiffel Tower rising into the sky behind other buildings. It didn't look that far away, but he had no idea how to get there. Let's try going left, he said. Jack and Annie turned left and rattled over the cobblestones until they came to an empty square at the end of a street. It's a dead end, said Jack. We have to go back, said Annie. Hurry. Jack and Annie turned the bike around and sped back up the street. They pedaled until they came to another dead end. Oh no, said Jack. Where's that busy street with all the cafes? We must have missed it somehow, said Annie. We're completely lost and it's almost 10 o'clock. This is so annoying, said Jack. The tower is right there. He pointed to the Eiffel Tower looming over Paris. It's really not that far away. We just don't know how to get there. Wait a minute, said Annie. That guy said that to get there by 10, we'd have to spin like a whirlwind. I know, but we're lost, said Jack. We don't know which way to go. It doesn't matter, said Annie. We have to spin, spin into the air. That's one of our magic rhymes. We have to spin our bike into the air. Chapter 7, Start Pedaling. Wow, whispered Jack. He reached into his satchel and pulled out their rhyme book. I'll say the first line of the rhyme, Jack said to Annie. You say the second. Then we'll start pedaling as fast as we can. 
The street's empty. No one will see us. So we can... Good, interrupted Annie. Let's get going. Jack held up the rhyme book so they could both read by the light of a street lamp. He read his line first. Whirl and twirl and swirl and spin. Then Annie read the second line. T-roll I, B-I, Ben. Jack shoved the book back into his satchel. Pedal, he cried. Jack and Annie balanced themselves on the bike and pedaled hard. The bike rattled over the cobblestones. Faster, shouted Jack. He pedaled as hard as he could. The bike shot forward. The front wheel began rising off the stone pavement. Whoa, cried Annie. Hold on tight, cried Jack. Jack gripped his handlebars as the wheel spun faster and faster and the bicycle rose into the air. It rose higher and higher above the dark street, above the rooftops, and into the moon-bright sky. Turn left, shouted Jack. Annie turned her handlebars and the flying bicycle headed straight toward the Eiffel Tower. The white beams of the tower spotlight swept over Paris, shining on chimneys, church steeples, and domes. But Jack kept his eyes fixed on the glowing iron tower. That was where they had to go. That was their goal. As Jack and Annie pedaled, the warm Paris air embraced them, holding the bike steady. With very little effort, they drew closer and closer to the tower. Soon, they were almost there. We have to land, shouted Jack. I know, shouted Annie. Lean forward. They both leaned forward. The front wheel of the bike dipped. Annie steadied her handlebars as the bike zoomed down toward the base of the tower. Stop pedaling, shouted Jack. He was afraid they would dive straight into the ground. But the bike seemed to have a mind of its own. As it drew nearer to the base of the tower, it began to drop softly and slowly, like a falling feather. The bike floated closer and closer to the ground. Its wheels brushed the grass of a shadowy garden not far from the tower. Jack and Annie pushed on the brakes, and the bike slowed to a stop. Then it fell gently onto its side, dumping Jack and Annie onto the soft, wet grass. Jack looked up. The Eiffel Tower loomed above them, reaching toward the bright Paris moon. We made it, Annie said breathlessly. Not yet, said Jack. We still have to find that party. He and Annie stood up. But first we have to leave the bike under the tower, like we promised, said Annie. Jack and Annie picked up the big bike. They jumped back on and started pedaling toward the Eiffel Tower. The bike felt a lot clunkier on the ground than it had in the air. As they bumped over the grass, they saw people streaming away from the fairgrounds. It looks like the fair's closing, said Annie. Jack and Annie parked the bi bike in a bike stand beneath the tower. The area looked deserted. There was no sign of a party or of the new magicians. A single guard stood under one of the tall arches. Excuse me, Annie called to the guard. Do you know what time it is? Almost 10, answered the guard. Is the tower closed for the day, said Jack. Yes, I'm afraid it is, said the guard. We heard there was going to be a party at the Eiffel Tower tonight, said Annie. The guard shook his head. No, sorry, as you can see, there is no party here, unless you mean the private affair at the top of the tower. There's a private party at the very top, said Annie. She and Jack looked up. The top of the tower seemed a mile away. Yes, with some very important guests, said the guard. He leaned closer and whispered, Mr. Thomas Edison. Dr. Louis Pasteur, and Mr. Alexander Graham Bell. That's our party, exclaimed Annie. Is there a fourth guest? Jack asked. There may be others, but I did not see anyone else go up, said the guard. We need to be there too, said Annie. How do we get up? The guard smiled. I am sorry, he said, but the elevators are all shut down for the night. Even if you had an invitation, the only way you could get to the top would be to climb the steps.
The guard looked up. And that is quite a few steps indeed. Come back bright and early tomorrow and you can ride the elevators. The guard tipped his hat and strolled away. Excuse me, sir, Annie called after him. Just how many steps are there? To be exact, there are 1,652 steps to the platform at the top of the Eiffel Tower, the guard said. Then he disappeared into the dark. That's too many steps, said Jack. Let's fly up on the bike, said Annie. We can't, said Jack. We can only use a rhyme once, remember? He pulled out their book of rhymes and read the ones they hadn't used. Find a treasure you must never lose? That doesn't help, said Annie. Pull a cloud from the sky, read Jack. No help there either, said Annie. Turn into ducks, read Jack. Annie smiled. Forget it. I'm not meeting Thomas Edison as a duck, said Jack. So, said Annie. The steps, said Jack. Jack and Annie moved quickly around the base of the tower, searching for steps. There, said Jack. They hurried to a staircase tucked inside one of the legs of the tower. Jack gripped the iron railing. Ready, he said. Yep, said Annie. Let's go. Together, they started up the 1,652 steps that led to the top platform of the Eiffel Tower. Chapter 8, Secrets. Jack could see the Paris sky through the iron rails of the tower. At first, climbing was easy. The steps weren't very steep, and Jack counted each one as they climbed. 26, 27, 28. I wonder what's going on at the top now, said Annie. 31, 32, 33, breathed Jack. I wonder if the sorcerer is there with the others, said Annie. What will he do when he finds out these guys aren't the kind of magicians he thinks they are? Don't know, breathed Jack. 49, 50. I'll bet he won't believe them, said Annie. He might kidnap them and force them to tell their secrets. 61, 62, said Jack. Faster, faster, said Annie. By the time Jack had counted the 360 steps to the tower's first story platform, they were both panting. Jack's feet felt like lead. That's a lot of steps, said Annie, out of breath. No, no kidding, said Jack, gasping between words. But we, we have to keep going. They kept going, but a little more slowly. Jack picked up the count. 361, 362. You can see how he might have thought Alexander Graham Bell was a new magician, said Annie, panting. 392, 393, said Jack. Think about it, said Annie. You've never used a phone in your life. Then one day you pick up this thing, hear a voice talking, the voice of someone who lives far away. You'd think, magic, breathed Jack. 444, 445, and Thomas Edison, said Annie. Think about it, thousands of years. You depend on fire for light. Then one day, you flip a switch. Presto, a glass bulb lights up. Magic, gasped Jack. 510, 511, Louis Pasteur. Think about it, said Annie. There are all these diseases. Nobody knows what's causing them. Then one day, this guy discovers germs, and he figures out a way to wipe out the bad ones. Magic, said Jack, 602, 603, 604. I can't believe the sorcerer would do anything mean to these guys, said Annie. Even if he is evil, said Jack, 620, 621. His leg muscles burned, but he moved like a machine up the mountain of steps. Finally, they reached the second platform. 700, breathed Jack. We have to keep going, said Annie. Keep going and let's get 
Our rhyme ready, said Jack. As soon as we see the sorcerer, we have to say it. Make him disappear. Right, breathed Danny. That's our mission. Protect the new magicians and find out their secrets for Merlin. Don't talk. Save breath, said Jack. Jack and Annie kept climbing and counting. Drawing closer to the top of the tower, Jack heard piano music. As they climbed higher, the music grew louder. Finally, Jack and Annie climbed onto a third platform. 1,652, gasped Jack. They were almost at the very top of the tower. A spiral staircase led from the platform up to a terrace. Jack's leg muscles ached, his head hurt, his heart pounded. But we have to keep going, he whispered. He and Annie dragged themselves up the spiral staircase that led to the terrace. They both collapsed and sat on the top step, trying to breathe. A flag overhead flapped noisily. Damp with sweat, Jack felt chilled by the wind. The piano music was coming from a small apartment on the terrace. I wonder who's playing, said Annie, still gasping for breath. Maybe one of the magicians, said Jack, or the, the sorcerer, said Annie. Jack felt a surge of fear. It almost took away his tiredness. We have to make him disappear, he said. He stood up shakily. Let's look through the window, said Annie. The two of them struggled against the wind as they staggered to the window of the apartment. When they peeked in, they saw a cozy room with leather chairs and glowing lamps. A man with a trim pointed beard was playing the piano. Behind him stood an elderly man with a graying beard, a big man with a bushy white beard, and a friendly looking man with no beard. All of them were smiling and nodding their heads in time to the music. There's four of them in there whispered Jack. Is the fourth one the sorcerer, said Annie, or is he the fourth new magician? I don't think any of them are the sorcerer, whispered Jack. None of them look evil. They all look pretty nice. What is this place anyway, said Annie. Let's check the book, said Jack. He pulled out the guidebook and looked up Eiffel Tower. He found a drawing of the tower. Each platform was labeled. The area at the top read, at the very top of the tower is the apartment of Gustav Eiffel. A picture showed Gustav Eiffel sitting in his apartment. Look, he's the guy playing the piano, said Jack. He read on. Gustav Eiffel is one of the world's master engineers. He built the Eiffel Tower with glass and iron, the world's newest building materials. Since these materials are lighter than stone or brick, structures can be built very tall. The tower's open design and its iron beams keeps it stable in strong winds. He's the fourth magician, whispered Jack, the magician of iron. He bends the metals of earth and triumphs over wind. They're all together now, said Annie. Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, Louis Pasteur, and Gustav Eiffel, the four new magicians. And the evil sorcerer hasn't shown up yet, said Jack. Come on, said Annie. We have to warn them about him and find out their secrets before he does, said Jack. He and Annie walked to the door of the apartment. Annie knocked. The night fell silent as the piano music stopped. Oh, brother, thought Jack. How would they explain such a weird situation to these famous men? The door of the apartment opened. Gustav Eiffel looked out. Yes, he said. Hello, can we come in? Asked Annie. Mr. Eiffel looked startled. Goodness, I seem to be having many unexpected guests tonight. How did you get up here, little girl? I thought the elevators were closed. My brother and I climbed the stairs, said Annie. 
Oh my, that's a very long climb for two children, said Mr. Eiffel, or anyone else for that matter. Did someone invite you to a party here too? Not exactly, said Annie. Well, come in anyway, the more the merrier. Mr. Eiffel stepped back to let Annie and Jack inside. Then he closed the door behind them. The four men looked curiously at Jack and Annie. Before you tell us about yourselves, allow me to introduce my other unexpected guests, said Mr. Eiffel. This is Dr. Louis Pasteur. He pointed to the elderly man with the graying beard. And Mr. Alexander Graham Bell, the big man with the white beard, nodded. And Mr. Thomas Alva Edison. The friendly-looking man reached out and shook both of their hands, first Annie's, then Jack's. You can call me Alva, Mr. Edison said. Hi, Alva, Jack murmured shyly. He couldn't believe he was shaking hands with Thomas Alva Edison. You can call us Jack and Annie, said Annie. So, Jack and Annie, how did you learn about this gathering? Mr. Eiffel asked. You have nothing to do with the invitations these gentlemen received, do you? We, um, Annie smiled a goofy grin as if she didn't know what to say next. She took a deep breath. Well, no, she said, but we know who sent them. Who? asked Mr. Eiffel. An evil sorcerer who wants to steal the secrets of your magic, said Annie. An evil sorcerer, said Mr. Eiffel. Yes, said Annie. We can make him disappear, but we need you to tell us your secrets before he gets here. The four men just stared at her. What did she say? asked Mr. Edison, as if he were a little hard of hearing. She says an evil sorcerer wants to steal the secrets of our magic. Mr. Eiffel said loudly, and that we must tell them our secrets before the sorcerer arrives. Mr. Edison laughed. So did the others. Jack felt his face grow red. The secrets of our magic, eh? said Mr. Eiffel. That's really a very good question. Let's think. I believe the secret of my magic is actually quite simple. I have a taste for adventure and a love of work and responsibility. So the challenge of building the tallest structure in the world was greatly appealing to me. Very good, said Annie. Taste for adventure, love of work and responsibility. She turned to Dr. Pasteur. Doctor, what's your secret? My secret, said Dr. Pasteur. He looked down at the floor for a long moment. Then he looked up and said, I believe my secret is this. Chance favors the prepared mind. The other men nodded. Hmm, said Mr. Bell. Ah, said Mr. Eiffel. Indeed, said Mr. Edison. Um, what does that mean? said Annie. Chance means luck, explained Dr. Pasteur. I dare say we all hope for a bit of luck in our work, but I find the more I study and prepare, the luckier I become. Oh, that makes good sense, said Annie. Studying makes you luckier. She turned to Mr. Edison. Alva, what's your secret? Mr. Edison smiled modestly. Well, let me see. His eyes were bright and twinkling. I suppose my secret is this. Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. The other men laughed. That's right, said Mr. Eiffel. Sweat, hard work, thousands of experiments fail, then finally one works. The other men clapped. I get it, said Annie. Genius is mostly sweat. Everyone then turned to the last magician. Oh my, said Mr. Bell. He stroked his bushy white beard. How shall I say it? He closed his eyes. When one door closes, another door opens. Everyone started to applaud. Wait, there's more. Keeping his eyes closed, Mr. Bell continued. 
We often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the new ones which open for us. He looked at everyone and smiled. The other men clapped again. Yes, yes, said Mr. Eiffel. There's always another door. Never give up hope, said Annie. Got it. Mr. Eiffel smiled at Annie. So, do you think our secrets would satisfy your evil sorcerer? Before Annie could answer, there was a loud knocking on the door. Chapter 9, The Sorcerer. Jack's knees turned to jelly. The knocking came again. Mr. Eiffel laughed. Goodness, another unexpected guest. He started toward the door. Don't open it, Jack shouted. Everyone looked at Jack as if he were crazy. It's the sorcerer, Jack said. My sister was telling the truth. He thinks you're all magicians. Don't be afraid, son, Dr. Pasteur said to Jack. I'm sure it's just another guest. Mr. Eiffel stepped toward the door. No, please, shouted Jack. Mr. Eiffel opened the door. There was a deafening clap of thunder. A ball of fire blasted into the room. Jack covered his face. Then all was quiet. Jack, Annie said in a small voice. Jack looked up. A golden haze had filled the room. Annie stepped quickly to Jack's side. But none of the others moved. Mr. Eiffel, Mr. Bell, Mr. Edison, and Dr. Pasteur were all as still as stone. Jack could barely make out a dark figure in a long cloak standing in the doorway. It's him, Jack cried. We have to say our rhyme. Jack shouted the line he had memorized. Thing before us, now we see. Jack waited for Annie to finish the rhyme, but she didn't say her line. Oh no, she's forgotten it, Jack thought wildly. Suddenly, he heard Annie laugh. It's you, she said. Jack looked up. The haze had cleared. The sorcerer's face glowed in the light. It was a familiar face, craggy with electric blue eyes. Merlin, breathed Jack. The master magician answered him with a smile. Merlin, hi, said Annie. She rushed over and hugged him. Jack just stared at Merlin. What happened, he asked. Where's the evil sorcerer? There are evil sorcerers in my world, Merlin said in his deep voice. But I assure you, none of them were here at the World's Fair today. So you were the messenger, said Annie. You delivered the invitations for everyone to come to the top of the tower? Yes, I was the messenger, said Merlin. I wanted to gather these remarkable men together so you could meet them all in the short time you had to spend in Paris. But why did you tell us that we had to find them before an evil sorcerer did, said Jack. Merlin smiled. Without that challenge, would you have used all your powers of thinking and courage, he asked. Would you have been so determined to find the new magicians and learn their secrets? Well, maybe not, Jack said honestly. Problems make us focus our energy, said Merlin. They help us think more sharply and act more swiftly. Never wish for all your problems to disappear. Problems can help you achieve your goals. Do you understand? Jack and Annie nodded. So now, what are the secrets of these remarkable men? Asked Merlin. I truly wish to know. If you want to reach your goal, you have to love adventure and responsibility, said Jack. You have to study and be prepared so luck will favor you, said Annie. You have to work really hard because genius is 99% perspiration and only 1% inspiration, said Jack. And you should never lose hope, said Annie, because when one door closes, another one opens and you don't want to miss it. Wonderful, said Merlin. These are excellent secrets. 
and I believe you not only learned them on this mission, but you lived each of them as well. Do you understand? I guess, said Jack. Annie looked at the four frozen men. What about them, Merlin? She asked anxiously. Will they be okay? Yes, they will awaken as soon as I leave. Do not worry, said Merlin. I'm sorry I almost made you disappear, said Jack. Merlin smiled. That is quite all right, but now we have a little problem. One must never leave a magic rhyme hanging in the air unfinished. Oh, said Jack. So Annie needs to finish the rhyme and make something disappear? Precisely, said Merlin. Perhaps you could use the rhyme to speed me back to Camelot? Sure, said Annie. But you do you have to leave so soon? Yes, I must be on my way, said Merlin. I would not want to confuse these kind gentlemen. Do not worry. I will send for you both again in the very near future. But now it is time for me to disappear. Jack smiled. Goodbye, Merlin, he said. Annie took a deep breath. Then she looked at Merlin and slowly set her line. The B1 New EV. There was a clap of thunder and a blast of fiery light, and Merlin was gone. Just as suddenly, the new magicians came back to life. Mr. Eiffel pointed to the open doorway as wind gusted inside. You see, son, he said to Jack, it was only the wind. Oh, yeah, said Jack, pretending to be embarrassed. I'm sorry. Don't worry, said Mr. Eiffel. You and your sister are perfectly safe. We live in the wondrous new world of science and not in the old world of magic and sorcerers. Mr. Eiffel moved toward the open doorway. Come, let us all step outside and take a look at our new world. Everyone joined him on the windy terrace and looked over the railing. Paris is a lovely city, is it not? Mr. Eiffel said. Jack and Annie and the others watched the giant spotlights sweep over Paris like white comets. The lights shined down on the domes and treetops, the grand monuments and church spires, the colorful fountain waters and rippling river. The boat lights twinkled like fireflies. Thanks to Mr. Eiffel and his tower, we can see the entire city, Mr. Edison said above the wind. Thanks to Mr. Edison, 10,000 gas street lamps in Paris will soon be replaced by electric lights, said Mr. Eiffel. Thanks to Dr. Pasteur's Institute, we will soon have cures for many more deadly diseases, said Mr. Bell. And thanks to Mr. Bell, I'll be able to call you all on the telephone and tell you about it, joked Dr. Pasteur. Everyone laughed. And this is just the beginning, said Annie. Someday people will carry tiny telephones in their pockets and talk to other people anywhere in the world. Uh, Annie, we'd better be going, said Jack. He didn't want the others to know he and Annie were from the future. But Annie kept talking. And there'll be these things called computers, she said, that can give you instant information about anything, anytime. Annie, said Jack. And get this, she said. She pointed to the full moon overhead. Someday, people will actually walk on that moon up there. The men all chuckled. You have a most delightful imagination, said Mr. Eiffel. And that is a wonderful thing, said Mr. Edison. Without imagination, none of us would be standing here tonight. Well, we'd better be getting home now, said Jack. And where is your home? The moon, teased Mr. Eiffel. No, it's Frog Creek, Pennsylvania, in the United States, said Jack. How will you get there, said Mr. Bell. In our magic tree house, said Annie. The men laughed. Jack tried to laugh with them. Ha, good one, Annie, he said. Well, let's go. 
Annie, I hope you and your brother have a safe trip in your magic treehouse, said Mr. Eiffel. You have both been most entertaining guests. Please come visit me anytime. Jack and Annie waved goodbye to the four men. Then they climbed carefully down the spiral staircase and started down the 1,652 steps of the Eiffel Tower. Chapter 10, Good Night, Magicians. It was much easier walking down 1,652 steps than walking up. Jack and Annie walked down and 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 down until finally they stepped onto the ground. Jack noticed that the two-seater bicycle was gone. I guess those two people came and got their bike, he said. Jack and Annie looked around. Exhibits were covered and gates were locked. All the motion and noise of the World's Fair had ended for the day. The living encyclopedia had gone to sleep. Suddenly, Jack felt very exhausted. Home, said Annie. Jack nodded. Frog Creek, he said, sighing. Jack and Annie hurried over the bridge and across the avenue. Those guys were really nice, said Jack as they walked through the dark rose-scented park. I know, said Annie. They acted like regular people, but they've done all these amazing things. Yeah, said Jack. They're like magicians in disguise. Jack and Annie came to the magic treehouse. They climbed up the rope ladder and looked one last time out the window. The Eiffel Tower seemed to stand watch over Paris, its spotlights sweeping over the city. Jack pulled Merlin's letter out of his satchel. He opened it and pointed to the words, Frog Creek. I wish we could go. Before Jack could finish making the wish, he and Annie were bathed in brilliant white light. Jack looked up. One of the beams of the tower spotlights had come to rest on the treehouse. It shined on them for a long moment. With both hands, Annie waved wildly into the blinding light. Jack waved too. Good night, magicians, Annie shouted. Jack laughed. Then he pointed at Merlin's letter and again finished his wish. Home to Frog Creek, he said. The wind started to blow. The treehouse started to spin. It spun faster and faster. Then everything was still, absolutely still. Jack opened his eyes. He and Annie were dressed in their regular clothes again. Dusky light filtered into the treehouse. No time at all had passed in Frog Creek. That was a great trip, Jack said softly. Really great, said Annie. Jack pulled the guidebook to the 1889 Paris World's Fair out of his backpack. He left it on the treehouse floor along with Merlin's letter, but he kept Teddy and Kathleen's book of magic rhymes. So, we have three rhymes left for our fourth adventure, he said. Quack, quack, said Annie. Very funny, said Jack. Ready? Yep, said Annie. She climbed down the rope ladder and Jack followed. As they started walking through the darkening woods, the world felt familiar and ordinary again. I can't believe we just met all those guys, said Jack. I can't believe I actually shook hands with Thomas Edison. You mean with Alva, said Annie. Yeah, Alva. Wow, Jack said softly. What do you think Merlin meant when he said that we had lived all their secrets, as well as learned them, said Annie. Well, think about it, said Jack. We wouldn't have gone on our mission in the first place if we didn't have a love for adventure and responsibility, like Mr. Eiffel. Right, said Annie, and we sure put a lot of sweat into our mission when we climbed the stairs. And we didn't lose hope when the door of the Institute was locked, said Jack. We stuck around until another door opened. And you prepared us by reading from the research book, 
said Annie. So chance favored us when we heard someone call Thomas Edison the Wizard of Menlo Park. And chance favored us when those two people lent us their bike. Actually, I don't think that was chance, Annie said. What do you mean, said Jack. Did you notice that man look more like a kid in disguise, said Annie. His beard and mustache looked kind of fakey. I did notice that, said Jack, but there was so much going on, I didn't have time to think about it. And the woman talked in that funny, squeaky voice, and the veil of her hat covered her face, said Annie. And the guy told us to spin like a whirlwind. That was a weird thing to say, but it reminded us of the rhyme in Teddy and Kathleen's book. Jack nodded slowly. Then he smiled. You think those two were actually Teddy and Kathleen? He said, maybe, said Annie. On our last three missions, I felt like they were right there with us, helping us get to the right place at the right time. Next time, maybe we can catch them when they help us, said Jack. Annie laughed. Yeah, we'll try to surprise them for a change. Good plan, said Jack. A bell jingled in the distance. Ice cream, said Annie. Yep, that's our mission now, said Jack. The ice cream bell jingled again. Jack and Annie ran out of the woods into the soft summer twilight. The